while my eating disorder was terrible and I, you know, not good, I'm very grateful for the experience and where it led me. Hello and welcome to Life with Ed, the podcast. I'm Julia Wirth, your host, a registered dietitian in New Haven, Connecticut. And welcome back <laughs> um, to me, I guess, and you and everyone. I know it's been um, about six weeks, I think, maybe five, since I um, posted my last podcast. And um, I am sorry about that. I am sorry that, um, you know, things got crazy, but hey, we're all in this craziness together. So um, maybe you can understand sort of um, that this is a bizarre time. And basically, um, in my other life, I work as a reporter. um, And work is insane right now. It the news cycle is crazy. Things are changing so fast, as I'm sure you know, as you attempt to keep up with what the new orders are from your governor and with the with the count of people with coronavirus is and everything is wild. So work has been crazy and I felt like the only thing anyone wanted to read or listen to or really needed to hear about was coronavirus for a little while. And now we've all sort of settled down. We're we're sort of used to this um quarantine uh, to some extent. I think I still, you know, want to break free every other day or so. Um but maybe it's time to get back to it. So I'm really excited to be posting again. Um, and I before I move into our article of the week, I just want to talk about, you know, it's okay to be struggling right now. It's okay to have days where you don't want to do this anymore, like you just want to give up and whatever. And that's okay. Everyone is feeling like that. Um, and it's also okay to reach out for help There are so many therapists and dietitians like myself and doctors providing telehealth. So just because you can't go to an office right now does not mean you cannot get care. I have continued care with all of my clients um, and all of the therapists I work with have as well. So please, if you are in need of resources, reach out to me. I can help find someone for you in whatever area you're in. My email is worth, W-E-R-T-H, your while nutrition at gmail.com. And I just want you to know telehealth is actually a great option. I, you know, as much as I like seeing my patients in person and I will never be 100% a telehealth provider, it is a really, really good second best Um, you get to be face to face, you know, sort of, (laughs) you can, um, you know, see each other, talk to each other and provide care at least for most, um, most things dietitian related or therapy related via this, um, internet (laughs) via telehealth. And I, I honestly am really impressed with how well most of my patients are doing and have transitioned to this new form of um, of care. So shout out to all the providers and all the patients making this adjustment and know that if you need help, you can still seek help. It's not like there isn't help available right now. All right. So my article of the week, actually my mom sent me a few weeks ago. So thanks, mom. Um, it is about a climber a professional rock climber named uh, Kay or Kai Leitner. I'm not good at pronunciation, so sorry. 
Um, and he actually, in Outside Magazine, spoke out about his eating disorder. And I just thought it was really powerful because uh, a lot of people don't talk about their eating disorder and even less men talk about their eating disorder. It's, you know, a sign of weakness. It's also not seen as like a male disorder problem. And I just think it often flies under the radar. So I was so glad to see this article. It's from April 24th. Um, Obviously, it'll be in my show notes. So check it out. Uh, I'm just going to read the beginning. So he writes, I remember one of my coaches constantly telling me I was too big to be successful in climbing when I was young. I was reminded on a regular basis, we've never seen champions that look like you. This was a reference to my size rather than my race. I remember having to say how much I weighed in front of my peers, revealing that my weight was significantly higher than others. I remember snack breaks when I wasn't allowed to indulge with other climbers because I had to watch my weight. As a young person, these experiences planted a seed that subconsciously fueled an assumption that controlling my weight was the only way I'd ever accomplish my climbing goals. Even when my doctor told me when I was 13 that I was unhealthily underweight, I took this as a sign that I was doing a good job. I constantly looked for other ways to keep my weight under control. I'm sorry. I think everyone who has suffered from any sort of restrictive eating disorder or played a sport can really understand that. Um, And he goes on. He is a wonderful writer and it's a really interesting article. And I think you should check it out. Um, I'm just going to read one more thing he writes here, which is advice to parents and coaches. And so he says, if you're a parent or a coach of a young athlete, it's important to recognize the signs that they may be struggling with an eating disorder. I unknowingly exhibited many common symptoms. Coaching staff, personal training programs, and governing bodies should collaborate with nutritionists and trainers who are knowledgeable about best practices for elite adolescent athletes. And that is what this show is all about, getting people to recognize that there are signs and symptoms that we can be on a lookout for, getting coaches to be more aware of. That's why I have so many coaches and sports um, professionals on the show. And just, you know, be a inform- an informational um light, I guess, for everyone around you, you know, make sure to spread your knowledge and don't just, you know, watch things happen. So hope you can take a chance to read that article. And without further ado, I'm really, really excited for you guys to hear my interview with uh, Julia Musker. She is a licensed marriage and family therapist. She's from Southern California. So she is enjoying sunny weather as I finally am too. And um, she is the owner of Walk It Out Therapy. And I am so excited to speak with her because she's literally living what has been one of my dreams for a long time, which is to give therapy to someone on the move. I do offer that service, though most of my clients, it's not you know the right fit for them, but she does it with most of her clients, which I think is amazing. And um, I don't know, she has a great story to tell. And uh, if you guys are in Southern California, you should check her out. So without further ado, uh, here's Julia Musker. Hi, Julia. Welcome to the show. Hello, Julia. Nice to speak to a fellow Julia. Yeah, I actually don't think I've had anyone on named Julia, so this is um, first time experience. Oh, good. Uh, yeah. I don't know many people named Julia. So oh, really? Kind of exciting. Uh-uh. Well, so I think actually in New England where I'm from, 
it for some mm-hmm. reason is incredibly common just in the year that I was born. Um, oh, fascinating. There were like five Julias in my graduating high school class. So I feel like. No. <laughs> yeah. I did, no, I did not know any growing up in really? college. There were a few of us, but I don't know, maybe here in SoCal it didn't. Uh, yeah, I don't think it's. It didn't. Sick. It's out but there. it is now a very popular child's name. So. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, I felt yeah. like I always had to go by Julia <laughs> W. So whatever. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. No, never had that had that problem. Um, well, <laughs> thanks for coming on the show. Um, could you just tell my listeners me. a little bit about who you are and and what you do? Sure. Um, so I'm Julia Musker. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist in Southern California, specifically Pasadena, California. Um, and I have a private practice here that I call walk it out therapy. And I take my clients, uh, outside and we go for walks, um, because I like to walk and do joyful walks and mindful walks. Um, and I like to connect that way and sort of found my little niche that sets me apart from other private practices in the area. And I primarily, well, I would say primarily, yes. I would say about 70% of my clients are, um, I like to say, disordered eating because mm-hmm. it runs, runs the gamut, and I don't always like to classify people as having an eating disorder. Right, um, yeah. I'm sure to find line, but I sort of use that lingo. Uh, and then also lots of clients with anxiety or life transitions, and obviously we're recording this during coronavirus in yeah. place, so yeah. there's a lot of... Um, you know, talk about a crazy life transition. So, and I also work primarily with uh, women. So that's kind of, yeah, a little bit about my practice. I also teach Pilates um, at a studio here that I love. And so, yeah, fitness is important to me. Um, And my own sort of history with exercise, I'm now happy that I'm in a healthy place with it. Yeah, definitely. How did you first get introduced to eating disorders? Um, well, probably like a hundred percent of your guests. Um, <laughs> I, I had my own, uh, eating disorder starting, well, I started with a whole bunch of anxiety and panic disorder and everything. And that, um, transitioned into an eating disorder in college and, and post-college. And that's when I got into heavily running way too much mm-hmm. and eating yeah. way too little, um, so I got pretty scary there for a bit, you know, the whole isolating myself and I had moved away from my family and um, uh, yeah. I had gotten, you know, hospitalized for a night and it just got really scary. And mm-hmm. so I found... And was your family like there with you or part of it or is it mostly, mostly on your own? Well, yeah, yeah that's a good question. Um, so because it all sort of started, I, so I'm from Southern California and I went to college in Texas. And, okay. Um, because they were further away uh they weren't as um privy to it um until they would come you know for a homecoming weekend or whatnot and they would um they saw me and my family has never been good at confrontation or talking about the real issues yeah Um, yeah so not not too much was said but i could tell there there was some a little bit of concern um and then my friends my college friends actually were the ones to sort of sit me down um and then my parents got involved once it really got bad post-college when I was mm-hmm. living in Dallas. I came home, uh, you know, for a family vacation and it was one of those, you're going to sit on the couch and we're going to tell you what 
yeah yeah that's so hard (laughs) Um, too because you're older so you feel like you already should have independence yeah it was really tough I always know when my dad gets involved that it's serious yeah oh yeah (laughs) so uh yeah so they said you know you gotta move home or else like seek treatment somehow and um and you know to this day it's sort of a I don't know not taboo topic but um Mm we don't always talk about it. And there are times where I feel like I'm still being um, scrutinized in some way, you know, yeah. so it, is, it is hard to sort of the family dynamic with an eating disorder. Yeah, definitely. Um, and so, you know, in my practice, I'm very cognizant of that as well as I work with teenagers or young adults, like how does family play into this? Cause mm-hmm. it's so huge, you know, definitely. And it can kind um, of be like a trigger to, Cause you don't want to like blame the family. Um, yeah. and so when you say like, okay, well, you know, this might be impacting family life or come from different, you know, things that are going on within your family dynamic, it can cause, I know it did in my family, a lot of like pushback of no, it's not our fault. Like this is, you know, mm-hmm. you have this issue. Um, mm. and so that can be, I think tough for families to be like, oh, we're all supposed to deal with this. Right. Totally. And also, you know, when they're not, especially like my parents' generation too, right? I mean, mental health and talking about yeah. stuff like that, it's yeah. not, you know, not what they know. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I give myself, I give my parents credit for trying and I never felt like, uh, I actually don't know if they blame themselves, but I don't blame them. I don't know where mm-hmm. this all came from, to be honest. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. I, you know, I'm still sort of discovering my own. <laughs> Why did this happen? I don't know. Um, so how did you get into working but, with eating disorders? Well, I, uh, so when everything was getting really bad and I, I committed to seeing a therapist in mm-hmm. Dallas when I was living there, she was this amazing lady who, she was not an eating disorder specialist, but she was just an awesome therapist. Uh, and you know, she really connected with me. She had a cute office. She dressed cute. And I just thought, <laughs> you know, and I was really lost, really lost with my career. I didn't know. I graduated with a degree in journalism. Oh, you know, so I was, funny. <laughs> me too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I love writing. And um, at the time I was actually working at a running store. Just I like running and to make yeah. enough money. Like, so I was just, I was very lost. And so when I sat across from the therapist, um, shout out to Brandy. She's amazing in Dallas, Texas. Uh, <laughs> she really was inspiring to me. And I thought, you know what? I want to do this. Like I love people. That's been one um, through line throughout my whole life is that I like people and talking to them. And it's always been easy for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I started thinking, how do I make this my job? So then I looked into schools, got my, you know, my master's worked on all my hours. And as I was working on all my hours, um, which for MFT in California, you got to get 3,000 hours of work in all kinds of areas. Yeah. Uh, I felt that I did my best work when I happened to stumble across, um, you know, a client dealing with some disordered eating. I felt connected. I felt like, all right, like I want to, you know, I want to help and make a difference in this person's life because this is what I needed and never really got, you know? Right. Um, Yeah. so yeah, so I just sort of realized this is where I feel comfortable and uh, and I love it. So I'm really grateful for my therapist for just being a, you know, positive example of a career lady and, you know, an empathetic listener. And I just, yeah, I feel very grateful. So like, and probably like everybody else, I feel like 
while my eating disorder was terrible and I, you know, not good, I'm very grateful for the experience and where it led me. Yeah, I think a lot of people I've spoken to, as you just said, sort of feel like, well, you know, I learned so much from it that I can't imagine if I hadn't had it, like where I would be. Mm -hmm. Um, Oh, totally. Which is like maybe how we can all feel about coronavirus. (laughs) Like, you know, Uh, uh, this is terrible, but, you know, maybe we're learning how to be okay being at home or, you know, spending more time with our family and like whatever that, whatever that looks like. Totally. I agree. Um, so yeah, I think there's a, le- a lesson to be learned in all hardship. Oh yeah. So it sounds like you did a lot of work in like different types of therapy, um, and treatment, um, throughout your training. So what sort of mm-hmm. methods and techniques did you learn? And like, what did you feel like were great and which ones were you like, Oh no, like I don't want to work with this. <laughs> um, yes. So I'm grateful for all of my varied experiences, uh, for a, small period of time I actually worked in an adolescent uh, residential facility that uh-huh. did work uh, with some eating disorder teenagers and um, quickly learned that residential was not where I wanted to be yeah um, so, I, so I felt too. that off the list yeah <laughs> yeah it's, it's hard yeah it's um, really sad uh, and then um, and then I ended up working also at a place where um, it was a dialectical behavior therapy comprehensive program outpatient but um you know, they use DBT and, um, it's a awesome modality that while I learned, I don't, I really am not cut out to work with. Can you explain, can you explain what DBT is? Yeah. So dialectical behavioral therapy, um, is a technique used mostly with borderline personality disorder. Um, and it is founded by Marshall Linehan, uh, and it has components. Uh, it's very, so when I said the word comprehensive, there is a method to the madness and there is a whole program connected to it. But I'll tell you the little nuggets that I like from it, mm-hmm. which is um, teaching people about emotional regulation. Um, so how not to go from zero to 100 right. um, and how to find that wise mind versus, um, you know, combining your emotional mind, your logical mind, and then finding the wise mind where you make rash or, or not rash you make smart decisions and not rash ones uh-huh. um and you're able to be in your physical body and, and be present with yourself versus you know being so dysregulated that you're just you don't even know that you're existing you know what i mean mm-hmm. um yeah. and so yeah so emotional regulation is a big component mindfulness is a big component of it learning to tolerate distress is a big component of it so it's very a very skills-based modality. So there's a lot of, underneath all those labels I just mentioned, there's a lot of um, different and specific skills that people can use from their toolbox when, let's say, they are emotionally dysregulated. Right. So while I never got, you know, fully um, certified uh, as a DBT practitioner, I love a lot of the components and I feel that especially working with eating disorders, you know, it's, we do get out of our own bodies and we're not present with ourselves and asking ourselves what we need or how we feel. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I really use <clears throat> a lot of the tenets of that modality um, with my clients. So I'm grateful again for the experience of having learned that in one of my practical experiences. 
Um, and then another another thing I did was I, I led some anger management groups once, um, mm-hmm. and and I am not cut out for conflict. Yeah. So <laughs> um, I learned that wasn't for me either. Um, so yeah, I would say mostly in my practice I use DBT, and then I use cognitive behavioral therapy, um, which is you know connecting thoughts, feelings, and behaviors, um, and hoping for some behavior change. Um, and then obviously with the walking component, um, I really like to use, um, getting into your own body and some somatic stuff to, you know, when we talk about eating that, you know, birthday dinner, like what happens in your body, you know, where, where in your body are you, are you feeling tense or is your heart beating, you know, Mm -hmm. pay attention to what your body is trying to communicate. Um, so kind of those three things are my main, um, main approaches, I would say. Yeah. And so one reason I really wanted to have you on is because I'm doing a series, um, you know, it's coming up, this will be in it, (laughs) about uh, Mm -hmm. different types of therapy that people might not have thought of or different ways you could have therapy. And I've spoken to like an art therapist, which was um, really cool just to think about and, you know, something most people wouldn't even think is therapy necessarily. And Mm -hmm. I don't hear a lot of people talk about walking during a therapy session. Everyone thinks of that like cozy room with like dim lighting. (laughs) And so Mm -hmm. how did you first find walking and realize that that could be a good way for you to treat your patients? Yeah. So um, actually, when I was working at that adolescent uh, residential facility, it was long days and I felt kind of cooped up. And yeah. I, and I, every night afterwards would call a friend and either walk while I talked to the friend on the phone, or if the friend lived nearby, would meet me for a walk. Mm-hmm. Um, and back in those I days, really, you could you know walk with people. <laughs> I know, right? So long ago, you could walk next to somebody. It was yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. Little did I know this was in my future. Um, but I just really found that hey, like I look forward to these walks and I feel like I'm getting to know these people on a deeper level than I would if we went to a bar or a coffee shop mm-hmm. or whatever. And so I thought, how can I, how can I do this, you know, every day? Right. Um, and so I, I don't know, sometimes I just get ideas and I run with them and I just thought, okay, I'm going to take my clients outside and, and do walking therapy. Um, and I have to say, that there are pros and cons, of course. Yeah. Um, I think I'm lucky that I live in Southern California where it is good weather all like year warm. round. Yeah. Because <laughs> I, <laughs> I can't imagine doing it. Yeah. It's I had a really similar idea like when I first started work and in my private practice and I was like, you know what? Every single person that I see likes to run and be outside so we could like run together and talk yeah. about it. And, you know, that was a good thought. And I do run like a like a group where we just run but I realized it's really hard to have like a deep conversation while you're running without shouting um so like everybody heard and then also like yeah like sometimes it rains and what are you supposed to like I don't know like just be like sorry did you bring yeah are you okay getting we do walk in the rain oh that's nice well yeah at least it's not like 30 degrees and raining (laughs) yeah Oh my gosh. No, I, yes, 
I very much am aware that if I ever move away from here, I'm not sure how I'm going to be able to. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I'll have to think about it more, but I, so I definitely feel, you know, lucky that I live here. So it's a, you know, a possibility. And yes, I give, I do have office space too, so that if there is, um, you know, a rainy day or right. I also say too, I'm very careful that if a client is in severe, you know, anorexia restricting oh, yeah. and using the, you know, as a way to burn calories, um, that that's, no, we're going to go in the office. Um, I mean, and, and at no point am, are we, are we, um, you know, power, power walking. walking. Yeah. <laughs> They're all pretty mindful, joyful walks. But one really cool thing that I've learned is, so I let the client sort of set their, their walking pace and, uh, you know, I just meet them where they're at. Um, and I will say that I very much noticed that the first, especially the first session, they walk fast. And there are times where I'm like, oh, God, this is going to be a, a fast one today, you know, yeah. because they're nervous. <laughs> You're like so tired. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, oh, my gosh, please slow down. Uh, but, you know, they're nervous and they're getting their energy out and they don't know, you know, it's their way of communicating with their body that like, okay, got to like, you know fidget or you know imagine imagine how many clients you know sit across and fidget or you know shake their leg or whatever right yeah so I just I notice their faces um and then they slow down as we get to you know be more comfortable or certain topics certain clients end up like if they're talking about an angry thing or the parent that triggers them they pick up the pace so you know I'm kind of paying attention because I don't have the eye contact which Mm -hmm. you know is so important in a therapy session I'm using their their pace um and you know they people have body language when they walk whether you oh, know yeah. it or not you know? yeah so so there is still that observation it's just different than sitting across from someone and how do you like something that I have thought about because I you know quickly decided that I could only use run for like support group type work yeah. um like how do you take notes or like know what's going on mm. you know afterwards yeah yeah so that is interesting. Um, so I don't take notes during the session. Um, I have my, you know, electronic mental health record app thing on my phone. Uh-huh. So after the walk, you know, I'll get in my car. And um, what I do, too, is I immediately text the client um, some of the, you know, high points of our conversation and what they um, what we talked about them to work on for the week. Okay. So that they, you know, have a tangible evidence of right, what we yeah, yeah. talked about. And then I just go right into my little app and I do, you know, I, I charge them and then right I away. write my my notes right then. Because, yeah, I would forget. Like forget. For sure. Yeah, and that's something that yeah. I I envy therapists um, <laughs> because, like, I have, I have to write down, you know, every single thing they ate. So it's like I have no yeah. idea how I would remember <laughs> everything. Oh, um, my gosh. But, yeah. you know. What? But, I, yeah. It Pros does require cons. a bit of uh, memory and recall. Yeah, sure. like, I'm like, Okay, but uh, I mean, also though, on the walk, there is this other element though of being present. Yeah. Um. So you know, and there is the the observation too, where they'll say, "Wow, that house is so pretty," or "Oh, I love these flowers," or "Oh, I hate dogs," or "I love mm-hmm. dogs," or uh, you know, so you learn about a person. Um, that's so cool yeah you know based on their observations of the world around them and so so what, something I'm curious about is like and I'm sure you've had this patients who love it 
and how do you know? Mm-hmm. And then you kind of see them flourish in the setting. And then I'm sure you also have patients who hate it. And what do you say to patients who like it just doesn't yep. fit for them or it's not doesn't work for them at all? Right. Good question. Um, I say, okay, let's go to the office. Know that it's an option in the future if you, you know, decide you want to go for a walk please just let me know and we can. Mm-hmm. Um, there are also clients where I actually encourage the authors to start, um, especially if they've had some pretty severe trauma. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, uh, and it's also outside. Their, yeah. Yeah. Yep. I do bring Kleenexes in my little fanny pack. But, oh, that's smart. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, if they're going to be highly emotional, um, I'll even have some clients who always walk with me. They will text me that week and say, I've got a lot to talk about and I know I'm going to get emotional. Can we meet in the office? And mm-hmm. I'll say, okay. Um, so yeah, I, I do encourage the walking aspect unless those circumstances. Um, and also I had a client one time with horrible body dysmorphia right? and to be outside was just like, no way. So that was actually, you know, we used that as our work up to goal to even walk around the block. Mm-hmm. Of, you know the off the office building so you know there's there's that aspect too where if it is in itself um its own modality yeah you know? definitely and so what role you sort of mentioned this earlier in terms of like you know if someone has severe anorexia you don't want to encourage the walking necessarily but what role do you think exercise does play for someone recovering from disordered eating or an eating disorder yeah, so it's tricky, right? Because when they're in residential treatment, let's say they take away exercise other than yeah, some, which makes me cry. You know, yeah, <laughs> I am too. I really feel for these people. Yeah, um, but I also under, I also understand it. Um, but I do, you know, just the benefit of like moving your body, getting outside, feeling blood pump through your body you know yeah, it, yeah. to me it, it it brings again with the somatic stuff it brings you back into your body and I'm not saying you know go run at all I'm saying, right yeah like you know go a walk um and to in moderation I mean I have some clients that are like I went on a 10 mile walk five times last week <laughs> like okay you know yeah um but I do I think it's so important for your mental health for your mood um to get in your own body and move yeah in even the smallest capacity and this is something like so, yeah. I talk about a lot with clients is just like finding normalcy again with everything yep. and I mean obviously mostly I talk about food so I have you know every single client eats their you know typically a veggie burger without a bun and that's not normal like most people would eat a veggie burger with a bun. So like something Uh I really encourage. And the same is true with exercise, right? Like it's not normal to be scared to walk. And I have a lot of people who like from being in residential are like scared to like make walking regularly a part of their routine. Cause like, what could it do um, to their eating Uh disorder? Is that something that Uh comes up with your clients ever? Yeah. Yes, actually, I just met with 
one of my clients yesterday, 14 year old girl currently doing um, intensive outpatient uh-huh. during this lockdown. Um, and, you know, they took away all of her exercise and the way, like, for example, that she bonded with her dad was to go outside and shoot basketballs, you know, and, yeah. and not go crazy, but just, which like, isn't even that much exercise. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they took that away and then the, um, they were hesitant for her to see me with the walking aspect of it. Um, and she's, she's excited about the walking, but there, she mentioned a fear of, well, she's afraid of like, I'm, am I ever going to be able to go back to running or, you know, um, and not because she doesn't think so, but I think because she's sort of being scared, you know, taught to be scared of it. And I think there's a reason and a rhyme for everything. For sure. Yeah. You know, like totally. But um, yeah, I don't like that it sort of now is creating the fear narrative, um, you know, which is also not great. Just like in the narrative of I have to run 10 miles or I'm going to get fat. I mean, neither of these are positive versus just simply I'm going to get outside to move because it feels good yeah and so do you have anything you say to clients to help like break down that fear of of movement yeah I try I you know I try and be vulnerable with them and sort of share my experience with it too where it's like yeah at one point I didn't know what life would look like without running 40 miles a week and you know like being okay with running three miles twice a week and and I'm here to tell you that it's possible um and you know to kind of explore further your relationship with exercise and what it means and like imagine you know hypothetically like if you if you had a healthy relationship with exercise what is your dream what would that ideal look like Mm -hmm. you know to kind of get them to see that that there's light at the end of the tunnel and it, it is possible yeah Yeah. And it's hard too. like you mentioned, like sharing your personal, you know, story. And I think about this all the time, obviously, because my personal story is just out there for everyone. Mm -hmm. Uh, And like most of my clients do either find me through my podcast or my website and they know, you know, about me. And, um, you know, they'll ask in session like, oh, well, how did you do this? Or like, Mm -hmm. what Mm -hmm. what did this like how long like someone asked me yesterday, like how long? did it take for you to, you know, not think about food all day or whatever? Mm-hmm. And I always hesitate, like how, how much of what happened with me really, you know, matters on their personal level and also like right. what's good to share and what's not. And I'm wondering, you know, what's, what's your thoughts on that since you also do, yeah. do share a little bit. Totally. It is hard to use discernment um, to know what's going to be helpful and what's going to be harmful because I, yeah, there are times where I think, well, if I tell them how much I used to run or how little I used to eat, right. I don't want them to, you know, adapt that, adopt that. And now they're going to do it too. Yeah. You know? um, yeah. So yes, I, it is tricky to use discernment and to think, okay, what is most beneficial to the therapeutic process versus, you know, oh, I'm chatting with a friend outside and sure, I'll tell my friend the nitty gritty and every little right. thing. Oh yeah. Um, so yeah, it is tough. And I think it helps the more you get to know it's hard at the beginning, right? When mm-hmm. somebody calls and they're thinking about coming to see you and, and, uh, and then they ask you about your previous eating disorder or whatever. And it's sort of like, Ooh, but I don't 
Yeah, this isn't about me. To, <laughs> yeah, I need to develop some rapport to know what's going to be helpful here. So, yeah. yeah, no, it is a hard, and I'm sure in your field too, people probably say, well, what do you eat in a day? You know? <laughs> yeah, or, yeah. So, yeah, that's hard. Mm. Yeah, and I had never I had never thought about it too much before cuz honestly most of my clients don't ask. It's not doesn't come up a lot. Um but a therapist who we share a couple clients asked me, um you know, like what what do you tell them, you know, and and do you think that's okay? Like I'm worried, you know, what you might tell them. And it really did make me, you know, think about that process of like, oh, what what should mm-hmm. I share and what's too much and What's that? Mm-hmm. Um, so. Yeah, I know the line of vulnerability versus, you know, being more harmful than helpful. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Um, well, awesome. Do you have any last? This is my last question before my yeah. real last question. Um, <laughs> do you have any advice for during this time during coronavirus for people to sort of connect or um, you know seek out therapy during this time? Yeah, um, I would say the awesome thing is so many of us therapists are um, reducing our rates because we know that this is a trying time financially. So always ask, you know, always ask, like, do you work on a sliding scale or, you know, do you have any reduced fees? Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of um, sort of, uh, like, if you look online, a lot of places are doing sort of pro bono stuff, especially for healthcare workers. Right, yeah. but also, the, I think it's so cool that so you have to see a therapist within your own um, state. So yeah, you can't. I, I can't. You know, see somebody in Massachusetts. But it's kind of cool that it opens you up to the whole state um, mm-hmm. because it is telehealth. So you know, if you've been following a therapist from San Francisco on Twitter or Instagram, reach out. You know, you can see them online. So yeah, that's, that's cool. so cool. Yeah, especially your yeah. state's so big, too. You would normally not have that ability. Yeah, oh, gosh, no. I feel like in <laughs> Connecticut, it's like you really could drive anywhere if you wanted. Uh, <laughs> it takes like two hours to get from one end of the state to the other. That is hilarious. It takes two hours to get to the west side in rush hour. I know, yeah. I know. Um. <laughs> um, awesome. Um, so, yeah, so I would say you know, it, a benefit is it's sort of opening up the uh, amount of therapists that you could see. So, you know, do your research and find someone that speaks to you. That's awesome. Yeah. Okay. So you've listened to the podcast. So my last question is what is your favorite food? Hands down, French fries. Oh, really? That's awesome. Love French fries. Do you make them at home or like a specific place? Both. Well, yeah. So I make them at home a lot. I'll do either a sweet potato or a potato potato. Um, cut mm-hmm. them. I will say my fiance is better at cutting them the right size. I tend to make them a little too big. <laughs> yeah, He's yeah. Pretty me good too. at the yeah. slimmer. <laughs> they're good when they're a little slimmer. Um, and then we spray coconut oil and some sea salt, sometimes some garlic powder. Uh, bake them in the oven, and they're delicious. Oh, that and, so and then when I go out, um. Man, uh, well, yeah, I, there are so many that are good. I can't even. There's this burger place down here called The Stand, um, mm-hmm. and it, it does. They have really good fries, and mm-hmm. yeah, a lot. I mean, there's controversy over the In and Out French fries. A lot of people <laughs> don't like In and Out French fries. I don't mind them. Just order them a little crispier. Yeah, um, but no, I, I don't discriminate really. I just love a French fry. That's awesome. 
Yeah, I, you know, was someone who was scared of French fries for most of my life. And Mm -hmm. only in the last, like, I don't know, when did I start dating my husband? Like six years ago, uh, Mm -hmm. did I discover French fries? Because he always got them. And they're so good. Yeah, so I feel, (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, sometimes I feel like I have to make up for my childhood. Like, (laughs) really got to eat more uh, French fries. No, they are the best food group. I swear, my fiance and I joke that we're both, like, potatoes because we eat so many potatoes that <laughs> that's we're awesome like, we're turning into potatoes yeah um so yeah french cool. fries well julia yeah. i had so much fun talking to you and i'm so glad that uh, you were able to come on the show thank you so much for having me and lovely to virtually meet you yeah, yeah. um and I look forward to seeing more of you know your career unfold and the podcast and everything you're doing awesome stuff If you made it this far, please take a moment to rate and review the show. And if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, or ideas for future episodes, please send me an email at worth, W-E-R-T-H, your while nutrition at gmail.com. Have a great week, everyone, and stay safe.